0: everyone welcome to the post holiday edition of the internet of things podcast this is your host stacy higginbotham and your co-host kevin Tofel. and today since we are pre-recording this in the early early days of december we are not going to be discussing this week's news presumably there's not a lot if there is we'll cover it next week because that's how we do it Instead, we're going to be talking about crazy IoT predictions for the year ahead, our biggest disappointments of 2017, and our biggest questions for 2018. Our guest this week will be my family. And now, let's go to a quick word from our sponsor. Home isn't just a place, it's a feeling. The feeling that you're safe to enjoy the things that matter most. Whether for your home or business, ADT helps keep you safe so you can feel protected wherever you are. Introducing the ADT Security Starter Kit. Everything you need to get started with ADT Pulse, including a camera, professionally installed for only $49. Visit ADT.com slash podcast today to learn more. Requires 36-month monitoring contract, installation and activation fees apply, enrollment in QSP and easy pay required, certain markets are excluded. License is available at ADT.com. Florida E through F0001121. 0001 Louisiana F1639. Okay, now we are back. And let's kick it off with our crazy, you want to go crazy IoT predictions or biggest disappointments, Kevin?
1: Well, let's go with biggest disappointments. That way we have good stuff, you know, happy stuff to talk about at the end.
0: Alrighty, Let's kick it off with my biggest disappointment. Where? Oh, where is my presence detection? We have been talking about this, you know, like, gosh, for like three years now. It feels like a really long time. And I keep wanting to be able to go into a room and have the room know that it's both me, not somebody else in my family, but also that I've been there. So when I say turn off the lights, it knows. we got...
1: We got closer. I mean, we do have cameras with video recognition now that are out there on the market. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I always thought it would be either a little tag, maybe it's Bluetooth, I don't know. It's our phone, whatever, but it probably will be cameras and facial recognition. And that's going to be interesting because a lot of people may not want that.
0: See, I wanted Bluetooth beacons and things. I thought that was the ideal way to do it. So you track my Fitbit if I've got one, my phone. But also, we also kind of got there in a sense with like the Amazon Echo letting you group things in a room. Although that's, as we've discussed, it's not exactly perfect.
1: It's not perfect. And it's more... It's an ease of use thing. It's not really a presence thing. I mean, it's putting the presence of the objects together. But I think we're talking about our presence, right? Right. We want our smart homes to be smart enough to know where Kevin is in this room and Stacy is in that room and so on. And we really don't
0: have that. And this ties in with actually a corporate or enterprise IoT kind of effort, which is beacons. I was disappointed this year because I feel like beacons have not, they're not all that. People are not, I don't (laughs) encounter them very often in spaces You know, I've I've had the physical web enabled on my phone for a couple of years. That's Google's beacon project. And gosh, nothing ever pops up there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The only time I saw things pop up was when I was working for Google in the Google New York City office. I never had anything pop up in a store or anything. And I'm actually okay with that because I really don't know that I want the store pinging me. But it would have at least told me, hey, this store is using beacons. I've only seen a few or news of a few implementations and a lot of planned implementations, but it could be that people are rolling them out and we're just not aware yet. But I tend to agree with you that beacons are not yet all that.
0: Yeah. And I really thought there was some interest there, less on, you know, marketing, but things like wayfinding I thought would be really helpful in buildings. There were a lot of cool talk and there have been some pilots in like stadiums, sports stadiums to help people get to the shortest line, the fastest or indicate which bathrooms are full. Mm-hmm. But overall, thought would be farther in 2017. So, you know, maybe that'll happen next year. I don't know. Let's see. What else is disappointing this year
1: Mm, consumer protections and data retention and so on. That's been a continued problem. And the longer it is a problem, the worse it is for this market as a whole, I think. And I know that on a couple shows back, we talked about some legislation here in the US that might add some consumer protections to IoT devices. But As we said back on that show, it was like a six-year time frame at best. And it was, you know, basically legislation, well, let's form a committee, and then we'll do the next step, and then we'll do the next step.
0: Oh, that's right. These were the guys who were going to create the task force or the committee to create benchmarks for protection. Right, right, right. Yeah, that was, that didn't even take up space in my brain. I was like, that's Mm -hmm. so useless. Yes. So consumer protections, I'm actually disappointed that we haven't seen some big lawsuits And I'm betting it's because a lot of this is arbitrated, like forced arbitration.
1: Well, it could be that. It could also be that people, when you say forced arbitration, meaning in the terms of service that people agree to, or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, that's probably why there's no lawsuits because people are agreeing to the terms of service, but you're right. Buried in there, it would probably have arbitration, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, we're all agreeing to this and I'll be the first one to say, I don't read the terms of service. I on do. almost. And, and Yeah, I don't. And I should. I'm setting a bad example. So don't do what I do, people. Read your terms of service and decide. The unfortunate part is you often don't see the terms of service until you've bought a product and that's an
0: issue. Yes, I would like that solved. Also on consumer protections, I would say we also have not achieved any sort of forward momentum around things like setting a product life cycle, setting security parameters. We did see this last year, the FTC sue a couple router makers for having hard-coded passwords and still trying to advertise as being safe. However, the FTC decisions were actually appealed. So we're in, I don't feel that our current FTC is probably going to be as active under this administration. So. Yeah, I would say things mm-hmm. are not great for consumer protections.
1: I would agree. They can only get better. Let's hope they do.
0: And speaking of getting better, or rather, it's opposite, <laughs> since this is the biggest <laughs> disappointment section. Yes. Gosh, things are, I think, I feel like things are getting worse on the integration front. And I mean that in two separate ways. One, we have not seen a coalescing really around standards except for Madam A and possibly Google Home. So there's still too many hubs out there there's still a lot of options and getting things to work together is not seamless. You're like enabling skills and logging into like 16 different accounts to get stuff working. And then even then it doesn't always work.
1: It seems like we've got a solution that's a bolt on solution. We just keep adding, adding, adding little bits, not cohesive solutions. Right. And like you said, with Amazon, it's let's get the skills and I forget what Google calls them, but they have something similar. And then we also have, you know, third party services that can wrap all these things together with APIs. And it's just everybody's trying to put stuff together. And why are they doing it? Because it's not together by nature, by default. And that's, yeah, you're right. It's kind of getting worse in that sense.
0: And it's still up to the consumer. And what's making it even worse, and my best example of this would be the Amazon Echo Show and Google's YouTube videos, now people are actively, like the big manufacturers are actively trying to tear things apart. So one, it's all on me to begin with, but in some cases, I'm just never gonna be able to integrate things.
1: Right, and in that particular case, you bought something with a an expected feature that you no longer have.
0: Which brings us and back to consumer protections.
1: Bada bing, bada bang, bada boom.
0: All right, so I really, like, honestly biggest disappointment of this year might be so far in the smart home front that it still freaking sucks, even though we've said it sucked (laughs) for the last three years. I'm very disappointed with the industry, and I feel kind of angry about it. Okay, I'm getting emotional.
1: It's okay. No, you're entitled. I mean, it's been a challenge. It's been an issue. I don't disagree, but I do think it's gotten better. It sucks less, depending on what it is, what product or what service or whatever it is you're trying to do. I think it does suck less. We have more options, which has its pros and cons. I think it's getting easier to set certain things up. Just a mesh network, for example, can be very easy to set up and can do a world of wonders for devices in your house. But you're right. It still kind of sucks.
0: I appreciate you trying to talk me down there, Kevin.
1: No, 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 not at all. Not at all.
0: All right. And then finally, on my biggest disappointments are, my gosh, cellular providers, where are my flexible cellular plans for business and startup IoT efforts? I still feel like we're not seeing a lot of innovation there. And it's still hard for smaller companies to kind of build products with cellular based, you know, wireless solutions in them.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think this is still a pretty nascent market in terms of using alternative networks for IoT devices. Luckily, one would hope that the carriers and operators have learned a lot from the mobile broadband revolution, you know, starting 10-ish years ago in terms of what they need to provide on the network, what kind of demand they're gonna have from devices and so on. To be honest, we've seen figures, you know, there's gonna be twenty billion devices. No, there's gonna be fifty billion devices. So I'll cut them a little slack. But by this time next year, if this is still on your disappointments list, that's a major fail in my opinion.
0: Okay. Oh, and another disappointment is the Trump administration's decision not to continue with the vehicle-to-vehicle communication standards that Mm -hmm. was agreed to like five years ago and not to implement that, which (sighs) there's concern over the cellular and the Wi-Fi guys. But I really thought because
1: we had this solved.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm like, I, I thought I, this I was coming
0: and we could plan for it. And that was going to open up a lot of really interesting possibilities. And then it's like screeching halt. No,
1: I can't argue with you on this one. I'm disappointed as well. It's just, it's something that took so long to get going. And we even had, you know, an official protocol standard for it. And we were just about to get rolling out of here. And now it's like, nope, not doing it.
0: Yep. So That kind of sums up my biggest disappointments. As always, I'm disappointed that I don't hear more from companies that have actually implemented some cool IoT stuff. I know that you're out there. I know there are pilots, and those are kind of sensitive. I'm a little disappointed that I haven't heard more successful wide-scale deployments.
1: And that could be partially because companies may think, well, we just implemented this one thing. Yeah, it was a massive undertaking, and it gives us this data that we didn't have before. We can make more sense of it. But part of me says are they thinking that's not big enough and therefore not reaching out or shouting from the rooftops, look what we did. I don't know.
0: Me either. So that's our disappointment. So now we'll move into our crazy IOT predictions. Okay. That's just a fun voice. So (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about what we think is going to happen in 2018. So let's kick it off with me on the smart home side I think price is going to become a huge honking deal to consumers. We're seeing so much interest in really cheap IoT home devices. I think that's because people have realized that, like we said earlier, it's still kind of sucky and I'm not going to spend a lot of money. It's a lot to ask someone to spend, you know, 250 bucks on a camera if they're not sure how it's all going to work together, you know, with, with other products. So I think, Cheaper devices are going to come in. That's actually tied to another prediction of mine, which is the quality in China from Chinese manufacturers is actually getting really good. There's a lot more emphasis when I talk to suppliers and when I talk to manufacturers. They're telling me that in China, quality is becoming a big issue. And so if you tie those two things together, we're going to see some cheap devices, but decent enough quality. And I think that's going to be put a lot of pressure on other providers in this area.
1: I hope so because I just started pricing out motorized blinds for my house and oh my goodness it's ridiculously expensive. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: so if you do motorized blinds, I will tell you that part of the challenge is you want quiet blinds mostly and those quiet motors they cost a lot.
1: Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So let me add a prediction in here. I think after what it's been Since 2014, I think it was 2014 that Apple announced HomeKit.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So was 2015 going to be the year of HomeKit? Well, it wasn't. Was 2016? No. Was 2017? No, I still don't think so. I think 2018 will be able to say, yeah, HomeKit has finally, quote unquote, arrived. Siri will probably just be good enough. I don't think... I made this prediction back when they announced the HomePod. In fact, saying by then they'll have improved Siri so that it will compete better with Amazon and Google's offerings. But now I'm I'm rethinking that. I do not expect that to happen. But it will be good enough. And yeah, I think the big change here was Apple's decision to go with hardware-based security authentication. And they have rethought that through. Now it can be software-based, or at least they announced that it could be. So I think that will ease the burden on a lot of these device makers, which they were kind of going in circles for the past year, year and a half, in my opinion. So 2018, I'm going to call it, HomeKit is the year.
0: I don't know if I agree with that prediction, but it's possibly (laughs) because I've been burned by HomeKit before, and the people I talk to have also been burned by HomeKit, and I think they're losing the vendor's... And manufacturers are certainly losing faith with them or have lost faith with them. The consumers, it's still a very popular request we get when people email us questions. They're like, does it work with HomeKit? And no. Ah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fewer things do work with HomeKit. That is true. But yeah, let's see what happens this year.
0: So yes, I do see some more products and, you know, maybe... All right. I also think, and this is kind of a fun one, I think we're actually going to see some smart homes getting built. So new builds, this is new construction and new apartments and homes getting smart features added to them or going on the market with smart features. So in the new build market, I think connected elements are going to become just part of the de facto package, kind of like at a certain income level. So like kind of like granite countertops. I do think that's happening Lenar, KB Homes, all of those companies are investing in it. Where I think we should keep our eyes open is a lot of these are investing around a particular product line, like HomeKit, for example, mm-hmm. where I as a non-HomeKit or a non-Apple phone user, I look at that and I'm like, that is useless to me. So that'll be really interesting to see how many people How they develop that, because the two ways that I've seen so far is HomeKit, or they go with kind of a proprietary app effort that uses like a Z-Wave or a Zigbee, and then a hub that the apartment community provides, and then you just have an app, and that's usually in the apartment or dorm kind of setting.
1: I tend to agree with you. I think you'll see more of this. I think HomeKit will be the not the de facto standard for this kind of option, but I think it'll be the one that's offered the most and probably chosen the most. And I say that because the people who are going to be buying homes in the future are the younger generation, right? I mean, I may downsize yet. You have lived there for a couple of years. Maybe you're going to stay there, but whatever. You're not going to buy new construction again is my guess. Neither am I. Oh, I heck think no. That. I'm
0: going to buy new construction. If I buy an old house, I can't get any neutral <laughs> wires.
1: This is very true. I can sympathize <laughs> with that personally. But again, that generation that's up and coming that will be buying the newer properties. For one thing, I think they're probably more iOS than Android, and they're going to want this.
0: Man, I can't believe you just called me old, Kevin.
1: I, did, I didn't say old. <laughs> I, I, the younger younger generation. So
0: we're mm-hmm. no longer up and coming. <laughs>
1: I got my AARP card. That's all I know.
0: All right. After Kevin's called me old, let's move move ahead to new predictions. Oh, I like this one. This is a good one from Kevin.
1: Oh, is it something I alluded to in a post a couple weeks back? I think we will start to see in 2018 very slowly, but we will see it more offline or contextual smarts in the home, thanks to more localized machine learning and AI. This goes back to some of the products that... Amazon announced this year, back in November. Also, Google has some products around this. I'm talking specifically about Greengrass for Amazon and TensorFlow Lite for Google. I think those will be your two bigger players in this space. And we'll see if it's going to require new hardware or not. I'm hoping not. It just amazes me, for example, that Google's Pixel phones can be offline but still tell you what song is playing in the area. So there's some, what used to be in the cloud is now on the phone, right? We're going to see that type of thing going now to the home. Yes, Uh, and
0: this last, in 2017, Intel, they launched a device called the Movidius, I think it was the neural network dongle or something. It was a dongle that you bought and you plugged it in and it had, again, AI capability, machine learning capabilities on this portable little stick, a USB stick. It was crazy. So this is definitely a trend. And I think what we're going to see is now that all this is out there, and people have started using it, we're going to see some really cool stuff happening
1: next year. And the added benefit is when the robot overlords rise up, we can just pull out their AI dongle.
0: That's aim for the dongle. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Okay. Also, This is more on the enterprise front, but I think for 2018, we can safely say that the race to the cloud by everybody and their dog, I was going to say everybody and their dongle, um, no, everybody and their dog in the industrial space is pretty much over. They've given up that where now the cloud is over. The IT guys won. So we've got Azure, we've got Google, we've got Amazon all offering really competitive and compelling IoT services for enterprises and industrial clients. And related to that, next year we're gonna see Edge has already been a big thing this year, but it's going to be more so next year. And we're actually gonna see how companies are implementing it. We're gonna see a lot of startups come in and solve for some of the problems of computing at the edge, such as latency, security issues and bandwidth. So I'm going to look forward to that. Feel free to call me if you're one of those cool startups and, you know, we'll talk. And let's see. Oh, we talked into this last week, but Kevin brought up a very good point, which is business voice. I think that's going to be big next year, but it is also going to be an IT nightmare.
1: I think IT has a lot of nightmares right now. And I forget what survey it was, but something like 62% of IT people surveyed back in October or November didn't even feel confident they knew about all the devices on their network in their environment. And that's a huge issue, a huge issue. The IT folks want to know, everything because they'll be held accountable if there's an issue. And they certainly want to keep control of all that. And the whole BYOD movement kind of took some of that away. And I think they've only recently just gotten their hands on that and wrangled those cats. But this is going to be a mess for them.
0: Okay. Now here's where I'm going to get controversial and Kevin's going to yell at me. So (laughs) I think next year, IT shops are going to reassess how they're implementing IoT. I think Very much like a guest we had earlier this year, they're going to be looking for longer ROIs as opposed to some of the short-term ones because they realize that to truly do a business transformation, you actually need to think a little bit longer term and bigger than just you know these very easy automation projects that we've seen so far. So I think they're going to reassess their role in IoT developments. I think we're going to see some local control start to develop because a lot of Value in IoT accrues where the sensors are. And oftentimes that's going to be at your branch office or your retail shops. And that is not where IT is today. So I think we're going to see. Go, Kevin. Kevin,
1: I, like, no. I was right there with you. I'm like, yep, I agree. I agree. I agree. And then when you said local control, Mm -mm. I just don't see it. IT does not want to give up control. Anytime IT gives up control, it feels it's opening itself up for accountability when it has no way to be responsible, number one. And two, IT people, and I was one for 15 years, and maybe it's changed since I was last in an IT shop. But they don't want to offload things because they feel it, many of them feel it reduces their value to the organization. And sadly, while I understand that, you know, IT isn't just a very specialized, unique role anymore. IT permeates everything in today's modern businesses. So it's a balancing act for these folks, and I sympathize with them. But they're going to fight tooth and nail to not give up control.
0: Okay, so maybe our fight is IT fights with business over local sensors.
1: IT has always fought with business and it always will.
0: (laughs) Indeed. All right. Well, those are our big predictions for next year. Feel free to share your own predictions with us. I'm sure we'll get lots of cool ones. And then we decided to end it on biggest questions because I don't know about you, Kevin, but there's a lot of things happening that I'm kind of like, huh, let's keep an eye on that next year because I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but I feel like it's going to have an impact. So my first in this category is What is going to happen with GDPR? And that is the...
1: General Data Protection Regulation.
0: Yes, that is the EU's act. It goes into effect May 25th, 2018. It's basically instilling some privacy and data protection charges across the European Union, but also for EU citizens. So that means if an EU citizen is renting an apartment here in the US, they actually are protected by this, which means companies in the US will... Undoubtedly, and other parts of the world have to deal with this. Many companies are already preparing,
1: yeah, I have a feeling they're going they're not going to be prepared for those kinds of situations. And the other aspect of this is we've got the whole Brexit vote. so u k folks, you're not covered under GDPR anymore unless the u k. passes something similar on its own.
0: Yeah, you guys are like the dumb Americans here. Ta-da. Yep. With no privacy protections whatsoever. Now, I will say, looking ahead at this, we'll probably see a spate of lawsuits very soon after it's passed. Most of the big tech companies are totally on board and have been forever in terms of getting their house in order for this. So we're going to see some really interesting... I think the lawsuits we'll see are probably going to be towards smaller companies and maybe some of the sketchy data brokers that have historically been in the shadows. They're going to start coming out. We're also probably going to see some newspaper articles from people Who are like reporters saying, Hey, I just asked Tinder for all the data they have on me, and holy cow, look what they have. So I think there's going to be a real public accountability challenge that's going to come out as a result of this.
1: And actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. This is probably something that you and I should consider doing, as well as the listeners. Every once in a while, go and download all of your data that's available, say, from your Google account, from Facebook, for whatever it is, and go see what they really have. Because there's been a lot of interesting stories in the past year about, you know, shadow accounts and so on and so forth. And that's probably on us to, to really dig into that.
0: All right. See, we're just giving ourselves more work. More uh, homework. Next big question. Kevin, you want to take it?
1: What will the end of net neutrality mean for IoT? We're assuming that net neutrality does go by the wayside from the protections that were put in place two years ago. <sighs> I don't know, because only because I don't know that we have all the details yet. But I don't know what do you? I'm sure you have thoughts on this.
0: We don't have to I mean, that's why it's one of our biggest questions. We don't have to know how it affects us. We just have to bring it up as like, hey, It's possible. Now we're recording this before the December 14th vote. So we don't know how that's Mm going to go or if it's going to happen. There's also, will that vote stand after comment fraud in front of a judge? Don't know. But all that's going to be stuff that's going to have to be decided. And then also just how are ISPs going to treat things? Like Comcast has a very big smart home effort. And they also have been historically pretty aggressive about blocking things on their network.
1: (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) So it will be interesting, to say the least. Another big question we have is security. I don't think security as an issue is going to go away. I am really hopeful and I would love to see a new security model developed for connected devices in the home and the enterprise. So my big question then for next year is what's going to happen on the security front?
1: And also, just because we're talking about legislation, I wonder if we will actually have some real legislation from a security standpoint that's passed here in the US. Because as we said earlier, it's just been non existent or on the very, very slow road.
0: Indeed. And my final big question has to do with cellular networks. I'm curious if MBIOT or CAT M will win. Actually, I probably should broaden that for low power, wide area networks. Mm-hmm. What will win? Where <laughs> it's probably because you know there's still Laura, there's Sigfox, all those are being deployed, and I'm curious if we're going to see like what networks mm-hmm. will become popular in what locations and for what types of business situations.
1: Yeah, I was going to say what I think we'll see is different quote unquote winners in different geographic regions based on operators and what they've already started to deploy and what road they've already started down.
0: All right. Well, and I have lots of other questions. But these are probably a good place to stop and give you guys some food for thought. Feel free to share your thoughts with us on this particular episode because it is very different from what we normally do. And stay tuned because up next is my family talking about what has changed in our house, what they like, what they hate, and giving you guys a normal person perspective on the Internet of Things. I'm normal. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham. And today's guests are my family. So I've got my lovely husband, Andrew. Hello. And my daughter, Anna. Hi. And as usual around this time of year, they are here to join us to give you a mainstream perspective on what it's like to live in in a smart home. So let's kick it off with this year. I feel like I personally have tried out fewer devices and have spent less time changing the makeup of the home. Do you guys think that's true?
2: I would say lately, that's the case. You know, there's still some things that I wish would be tinkered with, so they would uh, work a little bit better. But I think that's probably true, because we've got kind of a baseline together with all of our lights in particular.
0: So this year, I brought in a couple new devices, and some of them you guys were really enthusiastic about. I know everyone who listens to the show understands my husband's affection for the June oven. Yes. But in addition to that, what else have I brought in that you guys are like, hey, that's not so bad.
2: That's not so bad. That's what hasn't been so bad.
3: Um, All the Alexes in the house.
2: We do have quite a few more now, don't we?
3: they seem to increase over time.
2: You have one in your room now too, right?
3: Yeah. Anna, you had previously told me that
0: you did not want any smart devices in your room. And now you have an Amazon Echo in there. Why was that the device that broke your rule?
3: Because once I'd gotten to know it a bit better and feel how it affected me every day, since they were pretty much all over the house, I realized that I would not mind having one in my room because there were some things I would noticed around my house and room that Alexa could fix. Such as? I like to listen to music when I'm doing homework or studying or playing, and Alexa's designed to play music.
0: Do you use it for anything else?
3: No, not really.
0: Okay, what if I put a smart light bulb in there?
3: I don't know.
0: Okay. Well, maybe I'll sneak one in there and see what happens. Uh Uh-oh. All right. And Andrew, what have you added or what have we added that you've liked?
2: Well, first of all, on the Echo, I would say that they are helpful. I'm not a huge fan of the Echo show. I believe that was this year compared to the regular Echo, mainly downstairs because we have, have kind of the big open downstairs. The Amazon Echo, you know, that big ring on top lights up when it's listening. With the Echo Show, you have to be looking at it to know if it's listening or not. And I've also found that the sound quality isn't as good because it doesn't have the, the speakers going all the way around. Um, also, if Google Home had all the connections at the same time as early as Alexa, I would say that Google Home is better because it's so much better at search, right? I mean, there's so many questions that I think are fairly simple that Alexa can't answer that Google can And Google seems to understand my questions better than than Madam A does as well. As far as new things in the home, well, the June oven obviously is nice. Another one was pretty simple this year, but it's a huge help, which is you put in that connected switch for the under cabinet kitchen lights. Oh, Um, yes,
0: that's a straight up Lutron. It's not a dimmer. It's an on off you guys. And I connected it to a pair of fluorescent bulbs that we had, or several fluorescent bulbs that we had under our kitchen cabinets.
2: Right. And so it did two things for us. One is, you know, when you've got your hands dirty with food and you're, instead of reaching for that switch to turn on the under cab lights, you can just ask Madame A to turn them on. Uh, the other thing it was, I had a bad habit of leaving those lights on and since they weren't connected, whereas the rest of the kitchen lights were connected, I got yelled at by a certain, not, not yelled at, uh, <laughs> I got in trouble with a certain someone for leaving those lights on when she would be going to bed and ask Madame May to turn off the lights downstairs and those wouldn't go off and then she'd have to walk over and do it. So that was helpful as well.
0: All right. Helps you with your bad habits and also helps just make life easier. Yay. Yes. Okay. We also this year went through a couple different thermostats. Let's see, we had a Honeywell T5 for a while. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. And we have historically had an Ecobee Smart SI. And then I just put in a thermostat from Lux Products, which is a sponsor of the show, to try that out. And we also upstairs have a Nest. So given that we've played with a lot of different thermostats, I'm actually curious, like, Does it even matter what smart thermostat you have or do you even care if your thermostat's smart day to day?
2: I just want something that works, you know, and and frankly, even if I just have to program it and if it has this kind of a smart away feature, that's enough for me. The thing that bothers me about the Nest is when it decides on its own that we'd be more comfortable at a certain temperature (laughs) and it, you know, plays with it and in the middle of the night you get really hot. I guess there was a bug on that this year, if I recall correctly. That was last year. That was last year. Okay. I guess the answer is the basics I need. I need an app on my phone so I can adjust the temperature. Let's say we're out of town. It needs to be easy to program when we want it to be certain temperatures. And really, that that's about it. As long as it's working, that's good.
0: Okay. And... Anna, I feel like we didn't do any connected toys this year. You've kind of spent most of your time just hanging out on the computer instead. So are there any features or anything exciting that you like? You actually like the Echo Show.
3: Yes, I like the Echo Show because I feel like it's a bit more interactive than the other Alexas because you can actually see the information and it gives you prompts for what to say when you're just like, well, what else can Alexa do? And you can actually see the prompts and you can just look at it for the time instead of just having to ask Madam A for it. And it's also helpful when you've got like recipes or something that's pulled up because you can just look at it rather than having to go through other trouble because it's just like a voice programmed iPad.
0: Now, a couple times I called you guys while I was out of town and I drop in on you on the Echo Show. How did you guys feel about that?
3: It was strange to see the sudden transformation of, like, a screen into a face from distances away. And it was kind of strange to know that the camera on Alexa was broadcasting us to somewhere else. But I thought it was a nice feature because we could talk over cereal,
0: True. Now, you know, they took the Amazon and Google, who owns YouTube, are in a fight right now, which is why we can't watch our Corgi videos. Do you feel like without that? I know. Without that, do you think the show is still worth it?
3: That is a very tough question, because one of my priorities on it was that I was able to watch Corgi videos on YouTube. But I feel like the other stuff adds up and makes up for it. Because... Even though Madam A is having some conflicts with partners and stuff, it doesn't limit its abilities to a full extent.
0: All right. What about things that didn't work this year? I can think of one gadget that is driving my entire family crazy.
2: Oh, that's currently driving us crazy?
0: Uh Uh-huh.
3: Hmm. I'll
0: give you a hint. Oh. Oh.
2: (laughs) The Clever Pet.
0: Yes. To be fair, this is the Clever Pet, Pet Feeder. It's designed for people who are not at home, for their pets to like entertain themselves during the day. But since my family is often home, since we had it over the Thanksgiving holidays and some other days where people were still in the house, it seemed to find itself unplugged quite a bit.
2: Well, once or twice. But it is very annoying if you're sitting there and every 10 to 30 seconds it's making its loud mechanical noise. And our dog doesn't seem to appreciate it
0: either. She's still learning. Okay. I don't think she's learning. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. It's possible that our dog is not learning. Okay. What other gadgets, any other things that we saw this year that you guys were like, I want some of that. Why don't we have this installed? Or please take this out of my house.
2: One thing I have noticed this year is that our internet seems to be working well. And I think, I don't remember when we put the first generation Eero's in and the second generation, but, and I don't know if that's it, but I was having lots of connectivity issues before that, and it seems to be going really well the past six to 12 months.
0: We'll give Eero the credit for that, because yeah, you definitely had some, your computer just did not like staying connected to our.
2: It didn't. Another thing too is a device I rarely use, but when I do use it, it's extremely helpful. And that's the Chamberlain MyQ for the garage door. For example, when your car was in a shop and we had the loaner car, didn't have the garage door opener or the, the home link. And so being able to open up the app and select MyQ and just open a garage door that way was helpful, especially because we have such a sloped driveway, so to actually park it and get out and go into the garage and open it isn't all that easy. So that was very helpful as well.
0: And speaking of the MyQ, they actually have added a feature that would integrate it with like IFT. Or even like maybe your Google Home and what it is, is you would pay a buck extra each month or $10 a year. Right now, we don't subscribe to any of these things. But I'm very curious if you think there would be value in one of those types of subscriptions or maybe a cloud based camera subscription.
2: That's a good question. You know, one thing we've done recently is go through and look at all of our subscriptions and because they do add up and see which ones we're actually using and need to keep. I can't think of anything off the top of my head with the MyQ where I'm like, oh, I wish it could do this or that. That said, a lot of time, you know, I didn't think I needed voice activated stuff before the Alexa came along. So, you know, sometimes it's once you actually get it that you realize how valuable it is. Security cameras... I guess if they would record for a little bit longer or keep it stored longer. But for the most part, we would know if we need a recording pretty quickly after it happens, right? If we were robbed or something like that, we would know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head where I'm like, I would pay a monthly fee for this at the same time. I'm sure there are some things that would add value that I'd say, yes, let's pay for it.
0: Okay, Anna, because you are young, you are the voice of the future. And you come with your own theme music in your ideal world what do you think the house that you live in in like 20 or 15 years what do you think how do you think it reacts to you
3: in the future it really depends because i feel like the way technology is going it's going to be a lot more customizable for your needs and i really like being in control of things less than being able to talk to things. So I like to have an easily access to lights and controls. So
0: it's pretty clear that this year was the big year for voice to become a smart home interface. Since we've been early adopters of this trend, when has it worked? And when doesn't it work for you guys?
2: Well, it's very helpful, I think, for lights in general, especially when your hands are full. Or in our case, now we can, when we're going to bed, we can just come upstairs and say, turn off downstairs. We also added the television thing this year. What is that called?
0: The Logitech Harmony Hub.
2: The Logitech Harmony Hub, which is kind of nice when you. You have a glass in your hand and you're heading over to the living room to watch TV to tell it to turn on the television and and have the TV and the Roku and everything just kind of boot up. I will say, though, it still seems like Madam A mishears us a lot and it's not getting any better. In fact, I feel like as we add more devices, it gets worse because she gets confused between them. And so, you know, a lot of times she asks for clarification and it just seems so far off from what we were asking.
0: Well, let me ask you this, guys. What if I swapped out Madame A for Hey G? No.
2: <laughs> I like the idea. The, the one thing I don't like about the, the Google is that it has, so I'm, I mentioned the Alexa has that ring of lights on top, so you know when it's listening. The Google Home, on the other hand, has a sloped top, and it lights up a little bit, but if it's facing away from you, if the slope is going the other way, you can't tell if it's listening. So that's one downside. But I'd, I'd totally be up for trying like a swap downstairs and seeing how it works.
0: We did it for a little bit, but you did not utilize it.
2: <laughs> well, was that when we had the regular Madame A? Yes. Because I think my big complaint with the Google was that I didn't know if it was if it hurt us or not. Whereas the Madame A, we could see that it was listening.
0: All right. Any gadgets on your wish list?
2: Oh, I have one. It's a bot that comes in and actually sets up the expensive thing we have that makes our shades go down automatically and allow us to control them.
0: Every year. I just I just want to give you something to look forward to.
2: <laughs> the house of 15 or 20 years from now, it'll actually be set up.
0: Anna, anything that you're excited about or think would be fun?
3: Honestly, um, the smart toys these days, they're getting more and more interactive. And I really appreciate that because it's not just a oh if I press this something happens it gets you deeper into like oh if I do this combination then it's going to interact with me then I can interact back and it really kind of sets your horizon towards a bigger goal when you're playing and learning about tech
2: was it last year that we got that robot that we played for
3: yes
2: as I would call it the seven minute toy
0: It was kind of a, it was like a two-week toy, but
3: yes. Yes. Cosmo.
2: Cosmo, yeah. I think the key is toys that you continue to play with, especially if they cost over $100.
3: Because when it's aimed towards kids, the main goal is not to show off the technology that's behind it. It's to use that technology and utilize it to keep the buyer or purchaser entertained because Cosmo had some really advanced technology where it was using multiple codes to get a full body function over a robot so that it could do all these tricks. But it really didn't keep you as entertained because it was more about, wow, we figured out this tech where it's in full control over a body and it can do all the stuff and less about let's interact with it, let's play with it
0: okay, you didn't have fun playing the cube stacking game with him? I thought it was just that he didn't have enough things to do.
3: (laughs) That was also part of it because in the long time run, it could not keep you that entertained because you did have some interactive things with it. But a lot of the time it was less of let's interact with it, let's teach it stuff and more of let's go over the things it learned and see how cool they are.
0: Well, you guys, thanks so much for, A, talking to me, and, B, living in a smart home with me for the last year. Again.
2: Uh, our we don't have a choice? I mean, I mean our pleasure?
3: Yes. yes. Great pleasure. Can I have a corgi now?
0: That's all for this week's Internet of Things podcast. Remember, if you want more IoT news, please sign up for my newsletter at Stacy on IOT.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. We'll <music> be